We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, Bethany Lee here with the Equestrian Podcast, and you are listening to episode 36. If you are currently in the equestrian professional industry or looking to join, this episode is totally for you. Our guest today is a professional dressage rider and trainer, as well as a college professor at the University of Kentucky, as well as a podcast host for the Dressage Radio Show and a mentor and just amazing person all around. So here for some real talk on the equestrian industry, here's our guest today, Reese Koffler-Stanfield. I would love to chat with you a little bit about how you got to where you are today and how you started riding and kind of go from there. Sure, sure. No, I, I love it. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be on the show. It's so fun. And yeah, I loved horses literally from the minute I was born. Uh, <laughs> my mom has pictures of me on this little bouncy horse, which apparently it was one of those ones. They don't have them anymore with the springs on oh, them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't, they don't let kids ride those anymore, I don't uh-huh. think. But uh, I had one of those and my mom said I, she had to get two. Like I, I rode that thing for hours. She oh, said, funny. I always knew where you were because I could hear the squeak of the, you know, of the little, uh, the little, the uh, you know, metal pieces. So <laughs> I started it too, um, on that little horse. And my mom said, I never stopped riding really. Wow. So, um, I started in hunter jumper, a little known fact oh, nice. about me. Yeah, I did. Um, I have zero talent as a jumping rider, Z- <laughs> zero. Like when people are like, Oh no, we can train you. I'm like, Oh, I, uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so I actually, I actually been terrified of jumping. I, I don't like jumping. Um, but I started in the hunter jumper world at Robert Murphy stable in Lexington and they're still good friends of ours. And he saw me ride and said, Oh yeah. Okay. Here she, here we go. And then he taught me how to jump and he was like, Oh my gosh, she really can't jump. (laughs) So, um, when I was about, I think I was 10, I saw a local trainer doing dressage in in Lexington. And I told my mom, I said, that's what I want to do. And my mom just kind of laughed. She's like, dressage? Like, no, you have to be a hunter jumper rider. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, I don't like that. So when I was 10, I switched to dressage and I didn't look back from there. Wow. What did you find was some of the big differences between your experience with hunter jumper and dressage in the beginning? Well, there were no things I had to go over. <laughs> and so I think that <laughs> <Yes>. was, <laughs> that started it for me was I was really excited. I didn't have to jump anything, but actually, no, I, I loved when I watched, I, I even remember, I don't have a great memory, but I have a really great memory of that moment that I saw my trainer doing half passes and flying changes. And I just couldn't get over how they were dancing together. Mm-hmm. And I just, told my mom I wanted to dance with my horse. So I wake up every day still and think, I want to dance with my horse today yeah, or horses. So cool. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I started that and then I started riding. And at the time, you know, dressage wasn't big for kids at that point. So I started, um, you know, I had to ride with everyone else with the seniors. And I think there was really just one division or an open and amateur. Wow. Um, there wasn't really the junior division at that time. I'm not that old, but I'm old <laughs> enough to kind of remember that. I I started doing that and then it kind of evolved from there to where I wanted, I saw a friend of mine did Young Riders. I was probably 12 and I said, I want to go to Young Riders. I want to do that. And so I went to Young Riders and then I said, okay, I really want to have a horse that makes the team. And I was lucky enough to have that wonderful horse, Guberg's Casper, uh, that we were in top four in the U.S. in 2009. So I had the opportunity of, of doing the big sport with him. And uh, so it, it's been it's been an amazing journey for sure. Was there a certain point to where you were riding as a junior and kind of like that switch where you're like, I think I want to, I want to do this as a professional or the rest of my life. Or was that something that ever since you started, you're like, yeah, I'm going to be doing this forever. Yeah, it, it, uh, that's a great question. Cause I think I, I changed. I don't necessarily think I wanted to be a trainer when, when I was 14, Conrad Schumacher was the junior team coach for the U.S. So he would come and do lectures throughout the U.S. I would go to Temple Farms. My mom would take me and my sister and we would go for, you know, three or four days where we would have theory and we would have riding and we got to become friends with, you know, the, the girls and mostly girls, um, in, in our region. So even those riders now are, we're all still very good friends. And there was a really cool time in the history, I think, of dressage when, you know, when Mr. Schumacher was the trainer. And when I was 14, I told him I was coming to Germany. And I think he he laughed and thought, she's not coming to Germany. Well, when I was 18, I graduated high school and I, I went to Germany. And I went for a year. And then I came home and, and my dad said, okay, come on, you have to go to college. <laughs> so I did two years of college at the University of Kentucky. And then I went back for another year. I had a horse that I really wanted to push for the Grand Prix and knew I needed some help. So I went back to my German home and uh, I rode there for another year. And then my dad said, okay, you got to come home. (laughs) You have to finish college. And then my mom too, you have to finish college. I was like, okay, well, they didn't say where I had to finish college. They just Ah, said I had to finish college. Yep. Yeah. My dad's like, geez, (laughs) she got me on a technicality. So (laughs) I, I came back to the U S and, um, that horse was ready sort of to try for the Pan Am selection trials. So I, I did that. And, and I went to Palm Beach Community College for a mm. semester, which was a great education. I, I love it and, and have a real uh, affinity now for the community college system because I, I really enjoyed my semester there. So I was in Wellington. I was training with Kathy Connolly at the time. And uh, I would go to school and the girls would feed my horse lunch. I would go do my horse and then go to school and then come back and have my lesson. So that was a really fun time. So yeah, I, I did the big sport with Yuri that year. And uh, then I did go home and finish my college at the University of Kentucky. And uh, I, I actually do also have a master's degree. So uh, at the time, my mom said, you know, um, there's this really cool school called the Patterson School. And uh, it's diplomacy and international commerce. And, you know, you're fluent in German. And mm. so, or, or fairly fluent, that's yeah. fluent, a, a loose term, <laughs> but I was pretty good. So I ended up going and getting a master's degree in international commerce and diplomacy. Mm. So 
that was when the change really was if I decided, you know, was I going to go professional or was I going to do something like the state department or work for an international business? Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, let me, let me try this horse training thing for a bit. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was already training and had horses in training at the time. And I was all over doing clinics because as a college student, if you went on the weekends, you could make money and then not necessarily, and then have a couple horses or ride my own horses through the week. So that's what I did. Yeah. So I ended up getting a master's degree. Um, and I'm, I'm very, I'm thrilled that I have an education that way. And, and I tell all my young students and college age people, please get a, get an education of some sort, whatever it is. So you have a fallback plan. So I'm, I'm big on the fallback plan in horses. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. That's great. When you were becoming a professional, um, as far as, you know, kind of giving the training aspect a whirl to see if that worked, obviously in the beginning, as a lot of us young professionals know, that can be really challenging to kind of find clients Mm -hmm. and to kind of find your place. And uh, what motivated you to kind of continue and keep that idea of being a professional trainer going? Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing, isn't it, for everybody? And, and even as as an older trainer, um, mm-hmm. it's it's constant. It, it doesn't go away. And so I'm I'm lucky enough now. I, I actually teach at the University of Kentucky. I teach a class called Global Sport Horse Industry. Hmm. And a lot of my students that come in, they're all uh, about to graduate college, and and a lot of them want to be professional trainers. And the first thing I tell them is, number one, if you're not self motivated, you should go to another aspect of the industry. Mm-hmm. If you're not ready to hustle and to, you know, teach at hard hours or long hours and you want a nine to five job, this is not the job for you. Right. <laughs> um, and you have to be actually quite personable and you have to be a good people person, I think, to be a good trainer mm-hmm. because it, it it is a lot about people skills. It's not training the horses is the easiest part of our job, I think. Right. It's the managing the people. And now, you know, now you have social media that wasn't necessarily as much of a thing when I started, you know, so now you have to be pretty clever with marketing yourself and figuring out a way that you stand out in the industry. And so that's kind of where I tell people, like, find what you're good at and where you excel and and go from there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I know you are a host of Dressage Radio Show. Um, tell me kind of about that experience, fellow podcaster. I never thought I'd be a podcaster. And that kind of goes into also, as you, you're starting your career in horses, like don't say no to anything. I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, don't say no to an invitation because you never know who you're going to meet somewhere. You know, always be kind, always be the right person, always, you know, have the persona of, of someone that you are and that you're you're innately a kind person and that you love your job and you love your horses and know that people are always watching that. So coming back to that is how I got the the podcast. So so now uh, I never thought I would be a podcaster. I, I don't really have any media training <laughs> and, and I never thought that that, that would be a, something I would do. So I met my boss in the, in the owner of the Horse Radio Network, um, we, we're so fuzzy when we actually met each other, mm-hmm. but I, I for sure know I met him when I was doing equine affair 
I was um, riding Casper and Fantasia. So I had an amazing opportunity to ride in front of a whole stadium of people and in a spotlight, which mm-hmm. was really an amazing experience. Yeah. And then I met Glenn and he said, would you like to come on and, and do some spots? And I was like, uh, uh, sure, <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll do that, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I did some spots for them or I would fill in and then the um, co-hosting position became available and he called me and said, Hey, we, we try this for a month or two. And I thought, Oh, okay. Three months. It's yep. three months. Mm-hmm. So we have a joke that I'm still on my three months and yeah. uh, we're seven wow. years in, wow. uh, which is in seven and a half now, which is just insane to me. And, and I have a very good uh, co-host, Philip Parks from Canada, who, you know, we're also very good friends in life and uh, he bounces. He's my, my best trainer friend. So I'm always bouncing stuff off of him. And so it, it kind of turned into this really cool show where people now really listen and they listen to the training tips and, and they know about our philosophy of training. And Philip and I are very similar. We have some differences, but in general, we're the same type of um, philosophy. So mm-hmm. it's been really fun. I, I never, never thought I would be a podcast like podcast host. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I know it's it's um it's something that you'd never think. I know when I started the podcast, I was I think even even just having uh the equestrian podcast around for a year now, there were there still weren't even a year ago weren't a no. lot of equestrian podcasts. No, um, and still now. I mean it, yeah. it's it's still and, and and I find our listeners are probably listening to to me and to you. I mean we have mm-hmm. so many people that want so much information and uh, that's what I find fun about it, you know, um, is that we can get information out to anyone around the world that wants to learn. And then even if we just open up something in their mind or how to find another trainer or, you know, we have great networks. And so it's really fun to be able to sort of work together. And it's just, it's cool. Like I just started listening to podcasts outside of my, you know, I don't really listen to mine per se. (laughs) (laughs) We do it. So I heard it once. Um, but it's, it's so cool to be able to, to podcast. It just, it's just such a new media that I, I never thought I would be a part of, but it's, it's thrilling to be a part of it. Yeah. That's so cool. Oh, hey, it's me, Bethany, again. I wanted to interrupt really quick to let you in on something that we are doing right now that I am so excited about. If you are involved in the equestrian influencer space or have your own small business, this is for you. My friend Leah from Dapple Bay Co. and I are hosting a in-person workshop in South Florida during week seven of WEF, which is February 21st through the 23rd. This is going to be an intense workshop with about 12 other equestrian entrepreneurs for you to really network and to narrow in on your goals for your business. So would love for you to sign up. Finding a community makes everything better and is something Leah and I experience working together firsthand. We want this first one to be a small, tight-knit group, so spaces are limited. To apply for the workshop, head over to myequestrianstyle.com slash workshop for more information and your application form. So what would be an area of the kind of dressage niche of the industry that you're particularly passionate about that you feel like either the rest of the industry doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk enough about? Oh my gosh, this is such a great question. I've sort of been racking my brain on it. We talked about it right before. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, what is it? Um, 
you know, one of the things that I love doing and, and I hope, uh, you know, we can debate on safe sport all we want, but one of the things that I have, have found is a little bit of my niche, um, which I, again, never thought I would sort of mentor a lot of riders. I never, I never thought that. I never thought that I would teach a college course. I never thought that I would be a podcaster. But one of the things is I always have a, a, an assistant and those girls I've had now, my farm's been open about 10 years and those women are really incredible people that I'm so lucky I get to sort of mentor and, and have them in my life. And um, multiple, I would say three or four of them are professional riders now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm sitting actually watching my assistant ride run of the horses right now. And, and it's just fun to see and, and mentor them. I had wonderful mentors growing up and I hope we don't lose that. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that has been really important in my business and something that, you know, those girls, I could call any of them today and say, Hey, I need some help. And, and they would all be here and they would all help right. me. And, and it's been fun to see what they've done in their careers. Um, and I know my position, they come for a year or two and then they need to, they need to fly and they need to find other positions. Um, mm-hmm. so I've really enjoyed that. Um, I also kind of something I never thought would happen either was, uh, I coach a lot of eventers, that started um, because eventing dressage is dressage. I, I don't believe it's any different and mm-hmm. been very lucky to sort of have some amazing clients that, that are b- very successful now eventers. I have a couple uh, going to the Kentucky um, five star in the spring. And, you know, that's been something I, I wouldn't have ever thought I would become a huge event coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I really enjoy that, that. So I guess that's two yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. Would you feel like uh, like there's a stigma between dressage riders and eventers, who, uh, you know, kind of during their dressage portion? Um, is there kind of like a weird mentality? Because I'm not super familiar with being around either of those worlds. What is that kind of dynamic like? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I think dressage riders are, you know, have the stigma of being sort of I hate to say stuck up and prim and proper, mm-hmm. um, but in some ways it's, it's a bit different, right? Eventers mm-hmm. are really friendly people. They're very, very helpful. You know, they, they need to help each other um, mm-hmm. because of what they do. I mean, they go and jump amazing things that I'm nervous to even like walk out there. Yeah. Um, you know, they, ju- they jump some amazing thing and they need the help of their peers, I don't think dressage is, is quite as friendly <laughs> yeah. uh, than, than the eventers. But one thing that's happened in eventing is, is dressage has become incredibly important to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if they don't have a good dressage, especially at the lower levels, everybody can jump the jumps. Mm-hmm. But their dressage has become critical that if they're not good at dressage, then they're not going to, to score well. So... Um, I kind of jumped on that bad bandwagon when I was in college because we all need to eat when you're in college. So mm-hmm. you you do jobs where you're like, oh, okay, I'll teach some eventers. Well, yeah. in Kentucky, you know, we have a lot of eventers. We have a lot of off the track thoroughbreds. Yeah. Um, so I had to eat. And so I started mm-hmm. doing it and, and it was really successful and fun for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Back to your mentoring. Um, yeah. Do you find that there is kind of a common theme of uh, struggle or difficulty that your mentorees go through that uh, you find yourself kind of walking each one through? 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's what to do in the horse industry and how, how do you become a professional? Kind of like we, we chatted about earlier. Um, it's very, I I think if you interviewed and what you're doing is you interview professional riders and we all took a different path to being professional riders. And, and one thing I've learned over the years now is, is you have to constantly change your business and Mm -hmm. constantly, you know, be okay with, okay, I'm going to teach a little bit more. I'm going to take more clinics or, you know, sell horses if you're good at that. I, I don't like selling horses. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's something I know I'm not very good at. So you have to look at what you're good at and, and what other people are good at and, and where you position yourself. And, you know, I think it's struggle. The struggle is real, the financial struggle and how are you sure. going to make it? So yeah. I think, you know, teaching people about other avenues, like maybe you want to start a podcast or maybe whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. I, I call them side gigs, you know, don't be afraid. You know, we've all had to, I sold shoes at Dillard's for a long time, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, having other jobs and, and don't be afraid of that. It it makes it hard, but whatever you want, you can get, you just have to keep focused on, on what that is. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because there is also the mentality that if you are a professional in the equestrian industry, you are one of two things. You're either a rider or a trainer, like there's nothing else out there for you. Those are the only two options. Mm -hmm. And then if you are a professional rider or trainer, you are equally good at riding and training and selling and buying horses. And that mentality of you have to be all of those things, which I'm happy to see people starting to kind of branch out and to be a little bit more realistic with their skill set. And that if you do ride, that you don't have to be a good trainer or you don't have to be good at buying and selling and, and vice versa. And just something that I have found, I'm a private home trainer, but, and that's a very unique position, but have found other areas in the equestrian industry that I enjoy and am good at and can provide a service for people. And that's something that I always try to do too, is to show other people, especially through this podcast, that you don't have to be, you know, riding and training isn't the only answer if you want to be a part of the equestrian industry. So I think that's a really good point and uh, something really amazing that you're doing with other women, because it can be really daunting kind of, if you know, you love horses and you know, you want, you've been riding your whole life and this and that, um, that, you know, it might be something different, but still within the equestrian industry. Right. And, and I think just being, you know, you do have to sit back and be a little real, like you said, realistic at what you're good at. And the other thing is I'm a huge proponent of getting certificates or, or getting credentialing. So I, I did do the instructor certification in 2004, USDF certification through fourth level. They came out with an FEI certification. And, uh, I, I started that and, and became certified, FEI certified, uh, two years ago. And it is very difficult to step back and get the certification, mm-hmm. but nobody can take that away from you. Right. And I, I happen to love to teach. I, I, I that is a niche for me. I like to teach. If, if you want to learn, I will teach you. That's mm-hmm. how I, I look at those things. And so I know I'm good at that. I'm not good at selling. I don't like it. I, I will. I am very good at buying. It's horses and shopping. I excel at those <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm very good at that. You're right. I think, you know, not always looking at Europe, but I think we do have to look at the successful. You know, they, they are very, they have a clear path for training, which mm-hmm. we don't have. 
which is difficult. You know, again, you know, there are certifications you can't teach until you're certified um, in Europe, in most countries in Europe. Um, You also, you are put, you know, so let's say you're really good at riding young horses. Well, you will go ride young horses. In America, you know, we think we need to be good at riding young horses and then good at riding Grand Prix and good at coaching everyone and selling. And And it's okay to say, I don't really like selling horses. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not set up for that. Um, I don't like it. Uh, I will do it, of course. You know, of course, we'll all, you know, you can all, always branch out. But I agree. I think looking at what your skill set is, um, I love teaching kids once they get to the point they can walk track canter. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at teaching the biddies. I, right. I wish I was because I mm-hmm. have a little bitty. My, my, I have a niece, uh, two nieces actually who ride and they're little bitty and they're so cute. But <laughs> I will tell you, I go to the, watch them ride and I like have heart palpitations. I get so yeah. nervous. I yeah. just, that's not my, that's not my realm. Um, mm-hmm. and that's okay. You know, right. it's okay to be like, there's a really good, and, and they, my, my niece has the cutest little coach. Um, and, and my assistant also is very good with little kids. So I let her do that. And I am an aunt and just clap when she canters and claps when mm-hmm. she posts. And, and I'm good with that. Um, so I agree. I think you have to be real. Um, it's okay to not be good at everything. It doesn't mean you mm-hmm. can't do it. Right. But you may not want to base your whole business on, like I wouldn't base my business on selling. I, I don't like it enough mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah. I think it's, it's all good to know that. And, and, also, no, like you were saying, there's so many jobs in the horse world. And I, I do a lecture in my class on that. And, and literally, I sat down one day when I was making the lecture. And I mean, you just even think of fashion. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's so many things. Photography, mm-hmm. I, you know, are you good at fixing trailers? I, you know, there's so yeah. many things that you don't... I think for the longest time, people thought, I have to be a trainer. Mm-hmm. Um and a trainer is, it is a very difficult job because you have to be able to manage and market and uh, be a business person. And there's so many facets to that, that mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe selling supplements is mm-hmm. maybe working for the state vet is, or working for a veterinarian, or maybe you want to be a veterinarian. So yeah, I tell people like, don't think you have to just be a trainer. Right. Um, you know, look at, look at all the whole, the whole industry and see where you're needed to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so cool. So looking at what you are doing now, where do you see yourself in the next couple of years? Yeah. I think we're always mm-hmm. looking forward. You know, I, I don't yeah. like to look back. It's fun to talk about your past, but you know, looking forward. So I am so lucky right now. I have two wonderful horses, um, owned by some great owners, um, that, we are, one is, uh, pushing the Grand Prix. So I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward to, I hope he'll do his first Grand Prix in March and, and that would be really amazing. Uh, and then I have another horse who is going to the developing pre St. George. So I'm really, really focused on my horses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Wellington, I'm just looking forward to sort of all the opportunities that that gives me and all the, I mean, just opens your door to, to physio trainers and to my own trainers and, I have a wonderful group of students as well that I'm very, very blessed with to be able to kind of help them shape their their journey as well. So I focus very much on my horses and, and what they're doing. Uh, and then my clients as well that are here in Florida, but but in Wellington. And then also I will go back and forth a little bit, but this is one thing I, I didn't notice or know when I was younger, but 
um, I, I turned 40 in a couple weeks, Ooh. which is, I know <laughs> is not old, but as you get older, you look at your writing and, and, and that's why I think having skill is really important. Different skills. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't, I can't ride every horse that comes down my chute anymore. Sure. It's too hard on your body. And, and mm-hmm. when you're young, you don't, you never think about, I never thought I would say that, mm-hmm. but now it's like, oh boy, I have to do yoga every morning Yeah, <laughs> to be fit to, to ride. So, so I'm much pickier now on what horses I ride. I have great riders and great students. And, and if there's something that needs to be ridden, uh, I put them up there. So my focus is really on my top horses mm-hmm. and, and seeing where we go with them and maybe being a little bit selfish with my riding. Um, just because I, I, I know I don't have as many rides in me as I used to. Sure. Um, and I think that's, and, and, and you, I think you get okay with that. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to ride that, that thing. It's, it's a little wide and it's a little wild. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah. Let someone else ride it for a bit. And um, <laughs> so, so that's my, in the next few years to really focus on my own riding and my own horses. And mm-hmm. I'm lucky that I can, I can bring my students along as I'm on that journey as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, here's something that I always try to ask because I know that every situation is different and I think our listeners are always interested to hear too, but you see, you mentioned your two horses. Um, how did you come about with your relationship with the owners of the horses and, and kind of how did that all play out? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's when I always say, you never know who you're going to meet. So mm-hmm. I have a wonderful um, business partner sponsor who I met at actually a friend's bachelorette party. <laughs> you never know. And yeah. we just started talking and, and really, uh, we became, we both l- really like and love each other as people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important um, because the horses will go, there'll be situations, there's highs, there's lows, there's ups and downs. And I think people sponsor you because they like you as a person. Mm-hmm. Or they should. And so in my case, um, I'm very, very lucky with that. And I, I really look at, at my business partner as a mentor and someone who is a wonderful horsewoman. And she thankfully has given me the opportunities that maybe I wouldn't have, have had. And then the other horse is actually owned in a syndicate. And so I really, uh, I do also talk about this in, in my, in my class. It's, it's wonderful to find the sponsorship relationship. If you are lucky enough to find the right person and it works for both of you guys, you know, both or, or the group. Um, I like the syndicate idea because, um, no one has a huge financial investment in the horse. And it's also a journey. So in that syndicate, I, I actually bought in, I, I own a piece, my, my parents, uh, who are still incredibly, um, supportive of me even to this day. So I, I have been blessed with two very, very supportive parents who love this industry and like to hear as much about the horses. And then I have another, another longtime sponsor, um, who's been, um, also part of that syndicate. And she also has been a wonderful supporter of me. She, she was my first client. <laughs> Funny wow. enough. Yeah. Wow. When I was 17 and now she's, she's older and, and she can't ride, but, um, she is a local judge and she comes once a week and we ride through tests and we work through things together and, and she enjoys the journey as well. So, so again, I'm very blessed to have some long-term relationships now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am very true. You never know who you're going to meet. And so that's why you always need to be a good person. Um, but 
syndicates, I think, are less daunting than a sponsorship. A sponsorship, mm-hmm. if it's they're rare and you're very lucky if you get them. Right. The syndicate, you know, you can think like I can get three or four people together mm-hmm. and figure out a business partnership and relationship to to mm-hmm. make those dreams come true. And uh, so that's what I tell people. And you know, I I'm sure you and I I've done fundraisers. Mm-hmm. I have done all kinds of things to to make things happen. And that's part of the journey. Um, and you can't be afraid to ask for help and you can't be afraid to look for grants. There's lots of grants out there that a lot of times money goes unused. Mm-hmm. Um, in dressage, we have the dressage foundation, um, and they give grants to riders. Um, and they, they do give out the money that I think some people think, Oh, I'll never win that. Well, yeah, you don't know if you're going to win or be right. a part of it unless you do your application. Right. So, um, especially for education, you know, for certifications and that kind of thing, there's money out there. Um, you just have to, you do have to go after it. No one's going to do those applications for you. Right. Your local GMOs, that's another good place. If they don't have a grant and you really want to do something, maybe propose one. Horses are expensive. They they are not getting cheaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think and so you do have to be looking at all times, you know, uh for for monies that are out there and and for ways that you can make it work and, and I don't know one trainer out there that that doesn't do that or hasn't had to do that in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and it helps uh helps things be a little bit more attainable for people knowing that, uh, you, you got, you kind of have to get creative with ways, um, to get to your goals. So I appreciate you kind of breaking that down for us, but, uh, Reese, I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time today to hop on the podcast with us. I have loved every minute and, um, I really do wish you all the best. Well, thanks so much for having me and I hope everybody has a happy holidays. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.